0: Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Our text begins with the word, therefore, which ties our par- paragraph to the previous one. And in verses 8 through 15, we saw the great treasures that we have in Christ, that we were made complete That we have been given authority alongside of Christ. We have been baptized by the Spirit. We have been guaranteed resurrection. We have been given life, forgiveness, victory over Satan and his demons. And there is nothing greater that you could receive in this life than Christ and all the blessings that come from being in Him. Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. That's what we saw last time. And therefore, we must not throw away all that we have in Christ and the uh, the attendant blessings and circumstances. We must not throw all of that away and embrace a self-made religion. And that's what Paul wants us to see. That's what the Holy Spirit, I think, wants us to see as well here in verses 16 through 23. That Christ is enough and we don't have to, to pursue this man-made religion, this self-made rules in order to be pleasing to God. Christ is enough. Let me read our text for us, beginning in verse 16. Colossians chapter 2. This is the Word of God. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul is not starting a brand new thought here. He's continuing what he picked up on from last time, and that's why I say that our death with Christ has freed us from the tyranny of self-made religion. Our union with Christ in His death and resurrection has freed us from what we used to be. We used to be the kind of people that would set up these religions in order to feel good about ourselves. And what, what our union with Christ has done is it's put us to death from those kinds of things. So stop. we need to stop embracing that kind of lifestyle that sets up rules and and then uh, seeks to to find our satisfaction in, in obeying our man-made rules. We'll see how that plays out here in the text. But what I want you to notice here to begin with is the... Um, First, the threat to spiritual change. And that is the tyranny of self-made religion. The tyranny of self-made religion in verses 16 through 19. Paul begins with two commands in verse 16 and then verse 18. And these really form for us the basis for um, what he's trying to say. These two commands, you can see the first one in verse 16. No one is to act as your judge. Or we can say it this way, don't let anyone act as your judge when it comes to things like food, drink, festivals, new moon, Sabbaths. And then verse 18 is a very similar idea. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in. So don't let anyone judge you with regard to how you practice those things. And then don't let anyone defraud you as to which ones you're supposed to, to obey. Apparently there were people in their church who were judging the believers because they were not conforming to their man-made standards. You know, we've set up these standards that this is the measure of godliness. And if you don't do these things, then you must not be godly. And they were forcing them to, to embrace these, these structures, which really, um, actually, we're going to see at the end of the text, it actually turns people away from, from God. So, first, don't let anyone judge you. Second, verse 18, don't let anyone disqualify you. Or don't let anyone defraud you of your prize. That's the idea there. You know, you're, you're in a race. You're going to win a prize. Don't let anyone disqualify you from the race by, by hanging or dangling something over here on the sidelines and saying, hey, come and take this. Here's some man-made structures, man-made rules that you can abide by and guarantee that you have a right relationship with God. When people establish a standard of godliness that is extra-biblical, they, they can often piously enforce these man-made rules on everyone else and then look down and condemn those people who oppose their rules. I mean, does that not sound like the Pharisees? Right? They, they're trying as hard as they can in themselves to be pleasing to God. And so they set up all these regulations, what has to be done. They look up, why are your disciples not cleaning their hands ceremonially before they eat? You know, why are why are you doing why are you healing on the Sabbath? See, we've set up all these man-made regulations that you have to follow in order to be godly, and if you're not doing them, you're not godly, and Jesus says, "No." And so What it requires on our part, we're going to see, is that it requires discernment on our part. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about us entering into a relationship with God and seeing what He loves and then living in a discerning kind of way. So those are the two commands that kind of set for us the the foundation of what we're going to see here and and, um, help us to see the dangers that are out there. The first one is, that self-made religion is judgmental in verses 16 and 17. And this goes along with that first command that we already looked at. Self-made religion is judgmental. Self-made religion really is just a shadow of what was to come. It's a mirage. It, it claims to offer a measuring stick for true godliness when in fact it's just a shadow. Right? Look at, look at what kind of requirements that they were making for the people in the church in Colossae. With regard to, the second line, with regard to food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath. What does Paul say about those? Those are all a shadow of what was to come. So, so here's all the requirements as far as what you can eat. And here are the requirements as far as what special days you must observe. And Paul's saying, that's not, that's not the substance that's just the shadow. The substance of true religion is found in, in the second part of verse 17. The substance belongs to Christ. You see, those things, those type of man-made re- regulations that are extra biblical outside of the Scriptures are really just a shadow. <clears throat> they don't point to the true thing. Imagine a man who is starving and unable to secure food for himself. And suppose you told him that the that a location of a building that had free food. He had to go to the building in order to get the free food. And instead of going to the building, he went to the shadow of the building. And he's just hanging out in the shadow of the building. And as the shadow of the building moves all day, he just hangs out and he still can't get the free food. You see, the shadow is of no value. The nature of enforcing man-made rules or even Old Testament rules, amazingly, on us from which we have been freed actually serves like that picture. It's a shadow. It's not the real thing. The true religion is found in the building. The true religion is found in Christ. See, even the Old Testament regulations were not meant to be final. It was not meant to be a list of do's and don'ts ultimately. All of those rules pointed to something pointed to a God who who um, was in control. It pointed to a God who was loving and who was teaching us how to love. And those laws really were only meant to, to point to our Messiah. He would come and fulfill those laws. The Old Testament system was a shadow and it pointed to Christ. And that's the same way that... and what What these people in this church are trying to do is trying to resurrect that kind of system. Like maybe there's... There's more value in building up a system of rules and regulations. And that's how we can determine what is spiritual, what is godly. Self-made religion is judgmental. Secondly, self-made religion is deceiving in verses 18 and 19. Let no one defraud you of your prize. Don't let anyone disqualify you. The deception of of self-made religion seen here in verse 18. Let no one deceive you or defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. See, what was happening is these people of influence were rising up within the church and they were the final arbiters, the regulators, the judges of who had a right standing before God. Who had a right standing before God and who didn't? You want to know what godliness looks like? Come and ask me. I'll give you all the rules and regulations that you must obey. And Paul says, don't let them deceive you. Don't let them disqualify you. And and the the nature of what they were calling for were things that were not inherently bad. I mean, some of them at least, right? Self-abasement. The word self abasement actually comes from the Greek word that is translated in other places as humility. Paul uses it in chapter three, verse twelve, and says, put on a heart of self abasement. So he uses the same Greek word. So so what is what's the difference here? But here in, in verse 18 and verse 23, he uses it negatively. And I think the NIV has a good translation here. It says false humility. That's really the idea, and we know that because of the context. He's saying, don't do these things. Don't have this false kind of humility, this self-abasement. I'm going to get rid of all the things that are pleasurable in life. It's the idea of the the monk or the ascetic. You know, I'm going to get rid of all that pleases me in life. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it really difficult on myself. I'm going to delay or or remove all sorts of gratification. They also claimed that worshiping angels was necessary, according to verse eighteen. And so it looked what they were saying looked believable, right? Abase yourself, become humble, and worship angels. And the reason that you can be sure that we are right, these false teachers were saying. It's because we have visions that validate our claim. Isn't that what the last part of verse 18 says? It says, taking his stand on visions that he has seen. They claim to have these detailed visions that gave credibility to their authority. So, listen, I've actually seen God. I've actually had a vision of what I was supposed to do and what I was supposed to tell you. And, and how we're supposed to be self-disciplined and, and involved in all these practices, and, and they're all validated by my visions. And Paul says there's two kinds, two problems with these kinds of visionary experiences that they claim. First, first one's found at the end of verse 18. They they have they have made these claims with wrong with wrong motives. Notice inflated is inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. The reason that they make these claims for the visions is because they are self-inflating. They are self-promoting. It's not really about holiness. It's not really about godliness. It's about people looking up to them and agreeing to what they have determined is right. You know, looking up to them because of their self-denial and their self-neglect and their self-infliction. And that was supposed to somehow lead other people to self-restraint with regard to holiness. And instead, it actually led, like the leaders, it led to them being inflated in their fleshly minds. To be more proud of themselves. They're supposed to be abasing themselves and instead it's really a false humility, isn't it? And that's what we're going to see at the end of verse 23. That all these things that they're calling for really have no value in fighting against the flesh. The second problem with their claim of having a vision is found in verse 19. And that that is disconnected from the true source. This is the main problem, right? And not holding fast to the head. So the deception is there by these false teachers, but the reality of true religion is found in Christ, the head. And here's how we avoid the deception of self-made religion. It's by doing what we saw last week. And that is that we must recognize the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Anyone who who denies the supremacy or sufficiency of Christ by claiming that they have some greater extra-biblical revelation that tells us how to be godly, is a false teacher. We need to be connected to our head. The reason that their claims are false is because they're not connected to the head. Paul reminds us again of that great truth that we must recognize that Christ is supreme and sufficient. So he says in verse 19 not holding fast to the head so we can say positively we must hold fast to the head we must submit ourselves to him we must be strengthened by him from whom the whole body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments so we must be strengthened or nourished by this body by this head and sustained and and even our growth the end of verse 19 says our growth comes from him a growth with uh, we grow with the growth that comes from God The reality of true religion is that as we connect ourselves, as we unite ourselves with the head, as we are united with the head, Jesus Christ, we find our life in Him. We find the source of our holiness in Him. Not from external sources. We go to Him. And that's how we have real growth. That's true religion. And ultimately it results in a prize, right? Do you remember how it started in verse 18? Don't let anyone default you or defraud you from your prize, or disqualify you from your prize. You're going to lose the prize if you follow after these man-made religions, or even within the church, these man-made rules that are extra biblical. See, if we persevere, there will be a prize. And these false teachers are working to disqualify us from our prize. Self made religion is appealing. It seems to be right. But in reality, it's actually, it re enslaves us. It is a bondage to us, it is tyrannical and suffocating. And the remedy for us is to recognize the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and the freedom that comes from death with Christ. And that's what we're going to see in verses 20 through 23 the freedom that comes from death with Christ. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? The elementary principles of the world, the same phrase we saw in verse 8, which I argued that it describes the demonic spirits of the world who are the driving force behind the empty and deceitful philosophy that is drawing people away from Christ. And what we need to recognize is that that death with Christ, our union in Christ's death, has freed us from our submission to those rulers. That we are no longer slaves to Satan and his demons. We are no longer slaves of this world. We no longer have to obey our flesh. We can and must resist their influence on us. Christians, there is freedom in submitting yourself to Christ. The second freedom that we have by virtue of our union with Christ in His death is the freedom from the restraint of self-made religion. Freedom from the restraint of self-made religion. Paul gives this, this freedom here in the form of a question, why do you continue to live in this way? If Christ has freed you from the elementary principles of the world, and he has, then why do you keep re enslaving yourself to the self made religion or the self made man made decrees? If you've died with Christ, why? And the implied expectation is stop doing it, stop submitting yourself to extra biblical reg- regulations that are not a measure of godliness. And he gives some examples of what those kinds of extra-biblical regulations might be. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. What do they have to do with? Restrictions, don't they? Right? What What you can't do. Here are all the things that you have to deprive yourself of. Don't even touch that food. Not only can you not eat it, but you can't even touch it. These prohibitions primarily are pointing to the food laws that were very controversial in that day, right? Because they're coming out of the Old Testament system, the Old Testament Mosaic law, and they're coming under the law of Christ. And so it's very controversial to say, you know what? Should I eat meat? Should I not eat meat? And Paul's saying, these ascetic false teachers claim to have the way of God when it comes to what kind of food we eat. And they even go one step further to claim that that spirituality is defined by whether a person refrains from, from even touching that food. So it's not just that you don't eat it, but if a person who doesn't touch it, that's the really spiritual person. What did Jesus say in Mark 7? What defiles a person is not what goes into his mouth, but what comes out of his heart. That's what defiles a person. That's where the sin is. It doesn't matter... The food that goes into your mouth, ultimately. And so really, at the heart of it, we're, we're getting down to, to the core here. The problem with self-denial and self-discipline is not that those things are inherently wrong, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with being self-disciplined. In fact, we're commanded to, be, to, to beat our body and make our... Like Paul says, or at least give him an example that he beats his body and makes it a slave, 1 Corinthians 9, 25. There's nothing inherently wrong with self-denial, self-discipline, but, but rather, if those are the measure of godliness on their own, they subtly shift us off course from where we ought to be, that Christ is sufficient, and Christ is supreme, and that the source of our godliness is found in Christ. You see, if we, if we suddenly shift to our man-made regulations, so here's all the rules and ways that I know that I'm right with God, and they're my extra-biblical rules, like do not handle and do not taste and do not touch. Maybe they had good motives at the beginning, but are those really the measure of godliness? Well, they've actually What's actually happened is now we start to embrace those things as the way that we are right with God. And we start to think that, you know what? As long as I'm doing these things, I'm okay. I can still, you know, take care of... I can still live in all these other sins and deny God in all these other ways. As long as I'm doing these things that I've set up, I'm okay. And that's the danger and the deceit of self-made religion, of extra-biblical man-made rules that are divorced from the Scriptures. The third freedom that we have... because of our union with Christ, is very similar. Freedom from severe and enforced discipline. Freedom from severe and enforced discipline in verse 23. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. So with regard to all these, these um, extra-biblical regulations that we've set up, they appear to be wise and right. In self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but notice, are of no value against fleshly indulgences. Do you know people like this today? Who make the the types of food, the kinds of food that they eat, a form of godliness? They claim that, that eating healthily, as they define it, is what determines whether a person is godly or not. Or perhaps they go even farther as to claim that they are spiritual because they eat the things that Jesus eats. I don't know if you heard about the book that came out not too long ago. It's called What Would Jesus Eat? And the book actually claims to be a cookbook that teaches people how to eat God's way. If, if we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to eat like He eats. And what they've done is now set up a subtly set up another system that seems to be godly it seems to have an appearance of wisdom but actually it has shifted us off course so that our measure of godliness now is in what we eat rather than how I submit to what Christ has said in His Word. Maybe it's food restrictions but it could be any number of other extra-biblical standards that we have determined to be a form of godliness. You might be thinking, well, that's way out there. Okay? I don't know. I, I'm not struggling with that. You know, what, what I should eat or not. But maybe it's something like this. Whether or not a person should go to the movies. That's the measure of godliness. Whether or not a person should play cards. Or whether or not wears, a person wears a certain type of clothes or whether or not a family homeschools their children, whether or not they vaccinate their kids, whether or not the person's Republican, whether or not they work on Sunday, whether or not they've been to the Creation Museum, whether or not they've given out X number of tracts this week, how much money they've given to the church. See, here, here is all the measures that we set up. And how I stand in those things is my measure of godliness. And as long as I'm doing what I think is godly, then it's okay. But you see what we've done here? We've subtly shifted from what Christ has commanded us. We've tried to make application for ourselves. We've set up rules, and now we've embraced the rules to the exclusion of the Scriptures. And can I just say of all those examples, while the, the Bible does have principles that speak to all of them, and we should have convictions on on them, None of them are a measuring stick for godliness. None of them are a measure of spirituality. And yet there's, there's something believable when someone comes along and says, As long as you do this, and you are godly. There's something believable about depriving ourselves and being self-abased. It looks like a form of godliness. But I hope you realize this morning that there are countless millions of people who engage in all sorts of self-inflicted forms of discipline and yet they are far from godly. Self-infliction, self-denial, self-discipline in itself does not make a person godly. Look at verse 23 again. It is the appearance of wisdom. I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to argue against someone who's disciplining his body by rejecting certain foods and and drinks. But Paul says, don't be deceived. They have gone too far. And their practices, look at this last phrase here in verse 23. No value against fleshly indulgence. So what has been set up? Like the Pharisees, right? They set up all these regulations. This is in order for us to protect ourselves from ungodliness. See, there's ungodliness over there. That's the cliff. We don't. We want to avoid that. So we're going to set up a fence way back here so that we can avoid that ungodliness. And now they say anyone who crosses this line is ungodly. When Jesus said anyone who crosses that line is ungodly, right? And what we've done now is, is we put our confidence in something that Jesus has not called us to do. and and really, in the end, what did it do for the Pharisees? it It did what the last part of verse twenty three said. it actually kept them it it had no value for fleshly for for guarding them against fleshly indulgence because of what they do. the things that they want to engage in, as far as sin, they did them. They didn't make regulations against them or they justified them in their minds, right? The example that always comes to mind for me is, is when Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you know, you, you, you take all of your, your resources, your money, and you call them Corbin. These are set apart for God's use. And what have you done when you did, you did that? When it's time to go help mom and dad who are aging and need some help, you can't do it. You know why? Because you've already set aside your money for God's purposes. And what Jesus is saying is you foolishly set up a regulation that actually keeps you from godliness. You see, you, you, you initially tried to set yourself up from being ungodly, but in the end what you were doing is actually embracing your own self-made religion instead of embracing Christ. You see, sinful impulses cannot be corrected by external restrictions alone. We can't ultimately guard a person from sinful impulses by just setting up external restrictions. So, watch out for the tyranny of self-made religion. So, let me just make a couple applications here Uh, Really, a warning and then a clarification. Okay, first a warning for rule makers. Some of you are cut from the cloth of do's and don'ts. And you know that because this text has rubbed against you the wrong way. So some of you like that. You like like to have a list of things that you can do. and, And if I can just do those, then I know I'm Okay. And and can I just say to you that you especially need to take warning from this passage. That you need to guard yourself against making some extra-biblical rule the basis of your spirituality and the basis of someone else's spirituality. Because like verse 23 tells us, the rule that was set up to get closer to God that you are trying to do in order to get closer to God actually keeps you from God when you embrace that to the exclusion of what Christ has told you to do. And as I mentioned, this is the Pharisees. They set up guardrails to keep them from ungodliness, and in the process, they turn their guardrails into the new line, the new cliff. And in the process, they've shifted their focus from, from, from Christ and pleasing Him to focusing on obeying their rules. You know, it's not ultimately about me pleasing God as He wants to be served. It's about me obeying my rules that I set up and then feeling good about myself because I've done it. So in the process, our guardrails can actually turn into obstacles from following God. We have to guard ourselves, especially if we're in a place where we have authority over other people to make rules for them. We have to be careful in doing that. The easy thing to do When it comes to, to, um, to trying to lead other people, is just set up a bunch of rules. That's the easy thing. The hard thing to do is to disciple them and to work with them and to teach them to be discerning and as they, they fail and clearly violate the Scriptures, to work with them, talk with them, pray with them. The easier thing to do is just like, listen, you're not doing this. So we have to guard ourselves in that way. Because sometimes our man-made pursuit of spiritual change can actually prevent us from spiritual change. Isaiah twenty-nine thirteen says that, They drew near me with their lips, but their hearts were far from me. And then it goes on to say, Teaching human commands and teachings. So, there's a connection there. Their hearts are from, far from me because they've, they've actually built up this whole system that's extra biblical, maybe had some good intentions at the beginning, but now that's been the source or the means by which a person can determine godliness. So, a warning for rule makers. Secondly, a clarification for saints. This text, I believe, strongly argues against establishing rules as the basis for godliness. However, I don't think the Holy Spirit is calling us to be like seaweed floating in the ocean, kind of just getting tossed, you know, whatever way the current takes us. And one of the great parts about setting up and being disciplined and setting up rules and lists is that it helps to give us structure structure and stability. So, Do not hear me say that rules are bad. It is good to have rules at school. We need to have order, right? God set up a government over us so that there would be order. And if it were not for our government, there would be anarchy. And it would be terrible to live in this earth. So it's okay to have rules in our government, in our school. It's okay to give limitations to your children. Right, they're not discerning, so they need someone to be discerning for them. So make rules for them. That's okay. It's okay to have rules in our church, but here's the here's the catch: they must be done for biblical reasons, and they must not come with an implied correlation to godliness. Okay, it's, this is this we're treading on very difficult ground here. Okay, because when you're in a position of authority. And, and that person has a responsibility to submit to you, once you make a rule, they don't submit to it, then effectively they, they've, they've disobeyed, right? So you say to your child, okay, I'm making a rule that you need to clean your room. And they don't clean their room, then you can say, well, you haven't obeyed me. And in that case, they, the reason that they're not godly is not because their room's a mess. The reason that they're not godly is because they've disobeyed their parent, Right? that's where you need to take them so this is how you ought to be counseling your children make clear lines for them when they cross the line tell them from the scriptures why they're wrong not you know your your room's a mess and the reason that this is this is a problem is because we live in a you know we live in a country where this this is not accepted that's not going to fly. Or, this is a measure of godliness when your room's clean. No, it's not. It's a measure of godliness when you obey your parents. So tie them to the direct Scripture. If you can't do that, then you need to, you need to be more clear in what you expect of your children. The same thing happens in every area of life. These rules are good when they're grounded in Scripture. But don't make them a measure for Godliness. Let me just give an example here how, my, how this might show up in church and it will be, will be done. Suppose the discussion comes up in a business meeting about whether or not we should have food or drink in the auditorium. Okay? And we decide that we want to, we want to discuss, want to take some pros and cons from this. And, and there's no problem with those who think we should have no food or drink in the auditorium because you know we want to keep the auditorium in good condition. We don't want water you know, being spilled or certainly juices. We don't want to make a mess. We want to keep this room in good condition. And there might be some wisdom in that. Now suppose in that same meeting, as we're discussing that, there are a few people who thought it might be okay to have coffee in the auditorium or some kind of snack. And, and that group of people was opposed by the group that said, No. No food, no drink. And and as a result, they looked down on those who thought it was okay. Like, you don't care about our sanctuary, right? As some people call it. I don't usually like to call it that, but you don't care about this this room. And what we've done, when we've said no food or drink, and those who bring it in, we we basically said that your form of godliness See, if we've looked down on them, that's the key. We can't, it's not that we can't have a differing, differing opinion. But, but my measure of godliness is that I like this room more than you do. And so you must be godless, or at least turning away from God in some way. See, we've forced a measure of spirituality that really is not tied to anything in Scripture. Friends, this is legalism in the first degree, is it not? And, and if we're honest... Okay, this is not an issue at our church, by the way, okay? But if we're honest, we do allow food food or drink in our in, in this room once a month. Right? So I don't think there's a problem in making rules. If we decide to do that as a church, I would not be opposed to it. If we decide not to do that, I would not be opposed to it. Okay, there's nothing wrong in the rule itself. But if we start to say, well, because you think that it's right and because you think it's wrong, then 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 you must be godly or godless. See, rules are fine as long as we we've agreed to them, as long as they're helping to point us towards greater godliness. I mean, if you're not doing that for your kids, if you're not setting up rules or boundaries for your kids, who is? I mean, who's making choices for them? Who's helping them? to know what's right and what's wrong? Who's helping them to protect themselves against danger? And you know, if you're a member of our church, then, then you have agreed to our church covenant in the inside panel of the hymn book. And the church covenant is an agreement of how we will live. And so we have rules here at this church. And, and if I fail out now to live by those rules, then now I've actually defied my promise and have gone against the collective will of the church. But the bottom line is we cannot rely on a set of rules to bring us to God unless those rules are clearly established by Christ. Friends, by virtue of our union with Christ and His death and resurrection, we have been freed from the tyranny of man-made extra-biblical rules. Why well, go back to that? We are now free to follow Christ in obedience. And you know, He is supreme and sufficient for all that we need for life and godliness. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for what we have in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the freedom that we have. Many people look at us as Christians and think that the life of a christian means more rules more restrictions and yet really it's it's actually greater freedom because before we were in christ we were enslaved to our sins we had no choice but to serve our own flesh and and now that we have been freed we no longer have sin and satan and this world as our master we now serve Christ. We have the ability to say yes to righteousness. Lord, we want to be righteous. Lord, please help us to discern what is right and good. Help us to see what the clear commands that you have for us in Scripture are. And then help us to be discerning in the ways that you have not made clear. Like things about what we should eat and, and, and um, whether or not we should homeschool and, and, and all these other issues that, that were brought up. Help us, Lord, to see what is a wise and good way to go, but but help us not to make those things that are not clear in Scripture a measure of spirituality for ourselves and others. And, Lord, especially be with those of us who have authority and have the uh, the um, responsibility to make and enforce rules. I pray that you would help us in that. Help us to be charitable. Help us not to to thumb our nose down at people and, and, and um, treat them as less than godly. Lord, help us to tie these rules to what is expected in Scripture. And, and Lord, help us ultimately to rely on our sufficient and supreme Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.